In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Can you think about the best day of your life? Maybe it was the day you got married, or maybe it was when you graduated from high school or college or graduate school. Perhaps it was when you got that career job that you have been longing for. Maybe it was the birth of your child. Or if you're being honest with yourself, maybe it was the day your child left home. No judgment. I mean, maybe from your kid, but not from me. No judgment from me. The best day of your life. Think about it. Now what I want you to do is I want you to take a moment and think about your worst day. We don't like to think about them, but we all have them. Maybe a day you received some bad news or a time when you felt like the weight of the world was on your shoulders. Your worst day. Whatever memories are now stirring in your head, I'd like to suggest something that perhaps you've never thought of before. And that is, one of your best days of your life happens to coincide with one of your worst. And you might be scratching your head saying, what are you talking about, Father Chase? But it's true. One of the greatest days of our lives happens to land on one of the worst. And here's the thing. The reason why this particular day isn't coming to mind is that none of us can remember it. Not because we were so traumatized that we can't, but it's biologically impossible because this day happens to be the day that we were born, our birthday. It is obvious, I think, why this is one of the best days of our lives. Without it, none of us would be here, right? However, if we could tap into our infantile memory, we would recall it also being one of the worst days ever for us. Think about it. One minute, we were in the comforts of our mother's warm, cozy womb. Everything was taken care of. Our breathing, our eating, all done for us. And then the next thing you know, something happened. If you had a natural birth, then you were violently evicted. And in the process, your skull was bashed about so much that it had to remain soft until the monumentous but short event was all over. When you finally entered into this world, your eyes, which were used to the darkness, were now bombarded with bright, shining light. And your ears, which were accustomed to muffled sounds, were were suddenly replaced with beeps and loud voices. You were tossed back and forth. You're all poked and prodded. It's no wonder that many of us came into this world kicking and screaming and wanting our money back. Sadly, in my experience, some of us never seem to get over this. As you can see, being born rightfully qualifies as one of the greatest days and one of the worst days of our lives. So why am I talking about this? Well, this morning we've gathered around a text in which Jesus says to a leading scholar of his day, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. It's a rather odd conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. If you've ever read it before, you've probably thought to yourself, what are these two men getting at? Are they even participating in the same conversation? And frankly, I would agree with you. It sounds like complete non-sequitur mumbo-jumbo, And yet, it's from this odd conversation that we get one of the most well-known, most beloved Bible verses in all of Scripture, John 3.16. And it's from this conversation that we get one of the most important theological concepts, being born again. 
So the question we want to ask ourselves is what exactly is going on in this conversation? How did this incoherent babble turn into one of the most important dialogues in human history? And what exactly does Jesus mean when he says we must be born again? Well, to start, we need to look at exactly what these two men were talking about because it is not always apparent, as I've pointed out. In verse 2, we read that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Now, a lot of scholars have speculated that the reason why he came to Jesus at night was because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was kind of like the Supreme Court of first century, first century Israel. And he didn't want to be associated with this new radical young leader, Jesus. And so he used the cover of night to mask his, his entry. And there may be some truth in that. But it's equally likely that this happened at nighttime, not because Jesus was scandalous, but this was the only time Jesus had a break. When we read throughout the Gospels, during the day, Jesus is always preaching, and he's teaching, he's healing, and he's exercising demons. It's at nighttime that he finally gets a moment of peace and privacy. And they needed to have this private conversation because Nicodemus had a serious question to ask Jesus. We see in verse 2, him say, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Now what we need to understand is that Nicodemus isn't just giving Jesus lip service here. This is a loaded statement, and there's a question packed away in this statement. The subtext to this statement is, teacher, we see that based on the miracles and the signs that you perform, that clearly you are someone who is close to God. If you weren't close to God, you wouldn't be able to do the things that you do. But tell us, are you more than a rabbi? Because we don't see other rabbis do the things you do. Tell us frankly, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the king that we've been waiting for? The one who will restore the kingdom of Israel? It's when we understand that Nicodemus' statement is a loaded statement and there's a question packed in it, behind it, that we can understand why Jesus responds with this message about the kingdom. And the rest of the conversation starts to make a little more sense. And we see in verse 3, Jesus say, Truly, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And then in verse 5, he goes on to explain, Truly, truly, I tell you, no one can even enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Just as Nicodemus gave Jesus a loaded statement, Jesus gives Nicodemus a loaded statement back. And the undertone here is, Okay, so you've come to find out if I'm the divinely anointed king. You want to know if I've come to restore the kingdom. Well, I've got to tell you, Nick, it doesn't matter if I've come to bring the kingdom because no matter, because no one can see, let alone enter the kingdom unless they've been born again. Nick, you shouldn't be worried about whether or not I'm bringing the kingdom. That much will be apparent soon enough. What you should be concerned about is how you will get into this kingdom once it arrives. And the only way you can enter it is by being born again. And it's this phrase, born again, that threw Nicodemus for a real loop. As a man who is thoroughly acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures, Nicodemus immediately starts scrambling through his mind, thinking about where this phrase come from, comes from. Did, did, did the psalmist write about being born again? Did one of the prophets speak about being born again? Where is Jesus getting this idea? But nothing comes to mind. Because the Old Testament 
never uses a phrase like that. In fact, if Jesus had been running a finish-the-sentence exercise with Nicodemus and said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless fill in the blank, Nicodemus probably would have said, unless a person is a descendant of Abraham, or unless a person obeys Moses' law. But born again, that would have never come to mind. It didn't make sense. It wasn't in his vocabulary. And so what does he do? He automatically takes Jesus literally at his word, and he starts to think biologically. He says to Jesus, that's nonsense. It's craziness what you're talking about. Grown-ups are too big to fit back in, Jesus. How would that even work? To which Jesus then shakes his head and says, no, 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 Nick, you, you're, you're misunderstanding. It's, it's not about getting a big clumsy genie back into a tiny little bottle. No, what I'm talking about is a wholesale transformation, body, mind, and spirit. In fact, this second birth, says Jesus, is going to make the first birth look like a picnic in comparison. In other words, just as we have been physically born, we must be born spiritually. In fact, what most Bible translations translate as born again would be more precisely translated as born from above. Jesus says we must be born again, but this time from above, from the Spirit. And let me tell you, just like our first birth, our second birth, in many ways, will be the best and most difficult day of our life. Now, what do I mean by that provocative statement? Well, here's what I mean. Being born again is one of the best days of our life because as Jesus is showing us, it's the way that we're admitted into God's kingdom. And once we're inside, we get to take hold of all of the benefits of the kingdom. That is, we're immediately released from our bonds to sin and to death. And and we're once again given a restored relationship with the king of the kingdom. And he doesn't just merely make us citizens in his kingdom. No, we're told that he adopts us as his own children and gives us positions of royalty. And once inside, we're told that we receive eternal life. And that doesn't simply mean that we get to go on living forever, though that's part of the package. What he means is that qualitatively, our life is eternally magnified. And this isn't something that we have to wait for in the future. We start to experience that eternal life here and now, as well as into the future. In essence, what he says is we get to experience life as it it was always meant to be experienced. The second birth is amazing in ways that are unfathomable. So what is the bad side? Well, the bad side is that this transition into the new birth is not always a pleasant one. You see, many of us are quite comfortable in the womb of this sinful, broken world. And what Jesus is offering us is similar to the eviction that we got in our mother's womb. In fact, in verse 19, I know we didn't read verse 19, but you have to trust me, it's there. Jesus says, light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. What he's saying there is, like us in our mother's womb, we are cozy in the darkness of our present world. Sure, it's a little cramped. Sure, it's a little uncomfortable, but we get used to it. We like it. It's familiar. And going through this new birth, well, That's going to shock the system. It may hurt a little. It'll certainly make us more discomfortable than we are now, and it's going to disorient us. So we might be tempted to stay just where we are. But Jesus is telling us that's not where we belong. 
In C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, there's this excellent scene that describes this quite well. There's this one character who stands outside of God's kingdom, and he's got a little red lizard that lives on his shoulder. He can't get rid of this thing. Now, the man would like to enter into God's kingdom, but the lizard whispers lies into his ears, which prevent him from entering into the kingdom. Suddenly, an angelic figure appears, and he offers the man to kill the lizard, thus freeing him from this torturous beast. But the man protests. He's not quite ready to let go of his companion. Plus, when the angel attempts to kill the lizard, it actually hurts the man in the process, and he's afraid that the angel will kill him while he's killing this lizard. But the angel promises him that he won't kill him, that he's only going to kill the lizard. But he does warn him that in the process of killing the lizard, it will hurt him for a bit, but he will find it will be worth it in the end. After going back and forth, the man finally concedes, and as the book puts it, the next moment he gave a scream of agony such as I never heard before on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it, and while it bit and writhed, he then flung it, broken-backed, on the turf. Once the man's been freed from this beast, he's transformed. He begins to glow brighter and brighter and become more and more human. And then he's allowed to enter into God's kingdom. In a similar vein, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, and he's saying to us, that, if, uh, that we must experience the new spiritual birth if we hope to enter into the kingdom. And when we do, it will be both the best day and one of the most challenging days of our lives. Because in one sense, we are going to be transformed into the people we were always meant to be. But in another, it also means that we're going to have to let a part of ourselves die, just like the man in the great divorce. And that can be very hard. It can be painful. But as the angel reminds us, it's always worth it in the end. But now back to John 3, because none of this was really making sense to Nicodemus, who said, how can this be, Jesus? How does this work? If I had nothing to do with my first birth, am I simply just to sit around waiting until I'm spiritually born? You know, I think on one level, the reason why Nicodemus was so confused by all of this was not so much the analogy of being born from above, but he, he was confused because he started to experience a paradigm shift in his faith and in his theology. You see, Nicodemus was a person his whole life, ever since he was a little boy, who had been taught that salvation, that being in a right relationship with God, was all about being born into the correct family and then living up to the family rules as best you can. It was do, 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 earn, earn, earn. His life, his worldview, his values were shaped by that kind of thinking. Even his career as a Sanhedrin centered on this. But here is Jesus upending all of it. In fact, Jesus says in verse 8, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus' point isn't that God is random in bringing about the new birth. But his point is, the spiritual rebirth is not something that we can achieve through our own efforts. No more than we can direct the course of the wind. It's a gift of God. And that was a really hard pill for Nicodemus to swallow. The wind blows wherever it pleases. And it pleases the wind, the Spirit of God, to breathe life into all who repent 
and believe in Jesus. That's why Jesus can go on in verse 16 and say, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. But that is not earned or achieved. It is only accepted through faith. Okay, I want to pause here for a moment. Because when we get to a passage like John 3, I am very aware that I am preaching this to a congregation that probably has experienced this. I mean, I'm literally preaching to the choir here, okay? And it can feel a little redundant. Like, Chase, we got this. We got it. Let's move on, right? But, you know, it never ceases to amaze me how many of us, including myself, need to be reminded of this teaching. Because there are countless times where we know that we are saved by grace through faith and not of our own works so that none of us can boast, and yet we walk out those doors and we put the cart before the horse. And we think we still have to do, 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 earn, earn, earn. I like how James puts it in his letter. He compares us to a person who looks intently into the mirror, but then immediately when he turns away, forgets what he looks like. So even though we hear this message over and over as believers, we can still walk out those doors with the Nicodemus mindset. That is, we can think that we're only acceptable to God when we're good people, that he blesses us and loves us when we have our life together. But Jesus is reminding us here in John 3, that's not how it works. It works through faith. Faith in him. That's what grants us entrance into the kingdom. That's what gives us this new spiritual birth. So as familiar as this passage sounds and is, be reminded of the very best news you've ever heard. God so loves the world. He loves you. He loves me. That he gave us his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When we believe in him, we are born again. That's what it means to be born again. It means that we acknowledge that we have fallen short of God's glory, that we have sinned and we need a savior. It means that we're turning away from our old lives and embracing the new life in Christ. Now, if there's anyone out there who has never done that before, I can honestly tell you that this will be the greatest day of your life if you accept it. But I can also tell you, it will be one of the most challenging days of your life. Because it will mean choosing to let go of your old self, your old ways, and embracing a new way in Christ. This process can be painful as we confront our sins, our weaknesses, our shortcomings. It's difficult to let go of the things that once defined us and gave us comfort and security. However, just as our physical birth gave us a greater life than what we experienced in the womb, our spiritual birth gives us a greater life through Christ. It's how we're welcomed into his kingdom and how we're made part of the family of God. If you have not made that decision, then I want to encourage you to take the first steps today and experience the life you were created to have. But if you're like me and you've already made that decision, then I want to challenge you to continue to embrace the process of growth and transformation that comes with being born again. In fact, that's what this whole season of Lent is about a dedicated time of intentional growth into our new birth. We don't know if Nicodemus ever accepted Jesus' message. But what we do know is that his message is the only way we can enter into God's kingdom. We do know that it's the only way to become the people that we were created to be. It is the only way that we can have a restored relationship with God. 
And my prayer is that all of us would experience the joy and the challenge of being born again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him we might be saved, born again from above. Amen.